All right. I am here with my Lolly, and we are going to learn a little bit about her today. So one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is uh, to get to know the people that I love a little bit better because they've been such a big part of my life, and I don't know as much about them as I'd like. So go ahead, and you can say your full name and your date of birth to start off for us. My name is Mary Josephine Streeter Brenner, married name. My date of birth is April 12th, 1947. I was born at St. Vinnie's in Toledo. All right. And uh, we're getting to be around Christmas time. So to start off, uh, are there any, what was Christmas like when you were growing up? Oh, Christmas, Christmas was fun. my dad's sister, we called her Auntie, his older sister. She was a third grade teacher over at Jefferson School, which is gone. Um, and she had two daughters. She was a widow. So my, my memory, early years, were that um, Christmas Eve, I can remember putting up a real tree and the tinsel. And then on Christmas Eve, she and her daughters would join us for dinner. And we would always have lobster. I should back up. I grew up in a house that was right across from Veterans Memorial Park. It's now the Huntington Bank drive-thru. So the house where I grew up is gone also. Um, And uh, it was kind of a long house, a long, narrow house. Upstairs was an apartment. Um, Anyway, you know, in my memory, it was kind of big, but I think if I went back today, it would probably, I'd say, my goodness, this is small. Um, But after dinner, we always had lobster, as I said, and then after dinner, we'd go for a ride around town, Port Clinton, to look at the lights. In the meantime, somebody played Santa Claus, at home, so when we got home, they're all the presents. Oh wow! And um, so, I remember one year, and I don't know how old I was. Um, trying to think here, I wanted to buy. Uh, I got a Bonnie Braids doll. Bonnie Braids was a comic strip figure, so she was kind of a big deal, and I got a Bonnie Braids doll. And then one year I wanted what was called a Tony doll, and they were a little fancier. Not, we didn't have Barbies, we didn't have, um, uh, oh, what are the dolls that Marcella had? Polly Pockets? No. Um, the oh, doll, the American Girl dolls? American Girl dolls, yeah, we didn't have those. We did, well, so I wanted a Tony doll, but I didn't get a Tony. Is that the year I got the Pony Braids? I don't remember. Um, so it seemed like there were times that there were things I wanted, like what everybody else had, but mom and dad would think, well, this, this is better for you. So I didn't get the Bonnie, or the um, Tony doll. Um, and I remember one year there was, I wanted a, I can't remember if that was the same year, but I remember getting a little dolly it was a little, um, a little dolly of color. Oh, that was real. That was real different. Um, 
And then when we got older, and I think this from, came from my grandma and grandpa, we all got what was called a saucy walker. And she was probably about two feet high and she would walk. But I got one, my cousins, Gene and Linda got them, Clara got them, so we all got them. And then Christmas day, we would go, my grandpa was a mortician, and at that time they had to live in the facility. So they lived upstairs in the funeral home, and that's where we always spent our Christmases. So we all hold our dolls up there, but uh, it was kind of different because, um, you know, we, we liked going through to see if there were any bodies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we'd always like to look at the bodies. We were, you know, on, we were down there unsupervised, but it was kind of a, an awesome place. So I think because of that, you grow up with a different perspective on, it's just part of what your family does. Right. And at that time too, my uncles, my two uncles and my grandma were all morticians, so they would go on ambulance calls. So we could be eating and if there was an accident or something, there was no emergency service. Oh. It was the ambulances. Um, and I don't even know if they knew things like um, how to do first responder things. So I think they just go out, pick up the bodies, and take them to the hospital. Huh. And that was it. Interesting. So somebody was always on call. And that's why we'd do it at the funeral home, because the ambulances were there. Okay. We had garages. Yeah, That's okay. In fact, your grandpa Pop, I had a cousin hello all right now we were talking about um christmas yeah and it sounds like you had a lot of your uh, family around so were both of your parents from portland both of my parents were from portland my dad was a few years older than my mom about five or six and he actually just grew up maybe two blocks from her um, and he, he was the same age as her oldest, eldest brother. So, um, he knew him, I think he was in school with him and he started dating my mom, but never told my uncle George. So it, it was, I guess quite, I don't know how he wouldn't have known, but that's what they always said that they never talked about it. And. I guess it was a surprise to my uncle. But he was the only one who wasn't a mortician. Um, he was a chemical engineer, PhD, and he worked for Ford Motor Company. Okay. Never had children. He married, but they didn't have any children. So they always came back for Christmas. And um, my grandpa grew up, my mom's father, who was the mortician, grew up in Fremont. And he married a lady from that, near that area. And, uh, but he had an aunt who lived in Port Clinton. And so when, and her husband was one of the first, I guess you'd say morticians. When they got married, she said to her husband, uh, you know, you need to find work for us. Um, and at that time, the f 
The furniture stores typically made the pine boxes for the corpses. So that's how the furniture stores got linked with funeral homes. Mm -hmm. uh, you won't see that as much in your time, but at our time it was usually, and I don't know, you should ask Alec Fu sometime. There was always, we had the Gerder Mole furniture store and the Gerder Mole funeral home. Um, and it was because one evolved from the other, even though they look like they're totally unrelated in this day. So um, I, my grandpa needed a livelihood, so this his uncle, his aunt's husband, said, come in, we'll take you in as a partner. And he became the wolf part of Gerner and Wolf. Okay. So um, his name was Richard Gerner, the owner. And they didn't have children either, so um, it was good that my grandpa could take over. Um, and then eventually, they used to, the, the bodies used to be in people's homes, a front parlor. In fact, my aunt and uncle, or my aunt lived on Monroe Street where Focus Point was. Okay. So it got to the point where they would have bodies in their home. They would be like, I don't know if you'd say nurse helpers or something if people were dying and then oh, the, they'd have in the front parlor, they would have the person uh, kind of laid out. Hmm. Uh, now when my mom's mom passed away, she was at their home. It, typically if there was room, I suppose they were right in their own homes. So that's a different, little different too from what we're used to. Oh yeah. Um, and then when they, went to actually purchasing a home, the funeral home, as I said, someone had to live on the premises. So we would spend our holidays there. Um, and then at night after we ate, there's always the adult table and the kids got to eat in the kitchen. Um, we would play, we'd watch, um, I'll, um, oh, what was that show? Kukla Friend and Ali. I don't know if it was 15 minutes or half an hour. It was a couple puppets and a, a lady, Fran. And then we usually p play I Spy the Thimble. Oh, we played and, that. Yeah, Grandpa would hide it, or somebody would hide it, and then we'd have to look for it and see who found it. So That's those fun. were the things that um, we did. I didn't know that was from you, that the thimble or... Oh, I yeah. Spy the Thimble? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was... Um, there were, I had four other cousins who were kind of clustered around the same age and then, then the breaks for Uncle Bill and Patty and Martha and, um, and I don't know if you know Park or Critchie? Yeah. Okay, and Park and Patty were about the same age. Okay. So, um, yeah, we always had fun and we'd get together for birthdays. Um, That's fun. I, yeah. Max, Marcel, and I are always talking about how we are um, like right in the middle of the two. We're always right in the middle of the two generations. So, yeah, on and both sides too, because we, you know, we're the third generation from Gigi. We're like right at the beginning there. So we were caught like right at the end of Joe. Mike is close, but nobody else really. And then all their kids on our side or on this side and then on the other side mom's the youngest so we're all the way at the bottom and then allison is marcella's you know a couple of weeks i think older than marcella so we're all just right shelved right in between so 
we were always right at the kids table and then when it was time to move on there were other people to take our spot but um one of my favorite things about you is your curiosity and you just uh like you dive very deeply into so many different it's not like you just like read the title you know like you get a lot of information on a very wide breadth of topics so i was just wondering if you think that comes from and i try to get that like i aspire to keep that and uh, i think of you when i about that a lot so i was just wondering if you thought you got that from one of your parents or someone that is a good question i don't know um if it came from my dad's side i don't know um i think i just find it interesting curious that is is the word it's sort of like um being a spy you know hunting for why is this like it is um and i don't know when that happened because i don't know that i always had it as a kid um but it's just kind of fascinating you're always learning something new and it's um i'll tell you another one after we're done recording about blue moons what's a blue moon i don't know we didn't talk about that did we or no, we, I know. Okay. I know the premise is like twice in the same month. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and I, that's what I thought too. Oh, it's not. It's. Oh, well, I'm excited <laughs> to hear about this. Okay. Yeah, I just learned that on Bing a couple of days ago. Um, so I, I just think that's fun, and I think it kind of keeps you fresh and hopefully interesting. I like interesting and interested. Um, so I, I don't know where I got that. But obviously, uh, I'm jumping ahead here. I always thought I would like to teach school. I was going to teach history and art. I liked history, and then I realized I didn't really have art talent. I could appreciate it, but I didn't know that I could do it to make a living. And even if you're good, there's, right. you know, it's um, hard to make a living. So I wasn't, really wasn't sure. I was getting to be about a junior in high school, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And a neighbor lady said, well, I have a niece who is in dental hygiene. Have you ever thought about that? And I thought, well, you know, going to the dentist isn't my favorite thing, and science isn't my favorite thing. Okay, yeah, I think I'll do that. That's basically how it was. And I loved it. Good. So I don't know if there was that little, obviously, science is investigative, and you want to know more about things. So I maybe that's when it came out. I didn't even realize that it was there. Interesting. So, yeah. Um, I know. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be around Gigi a lot growing up. So I was just wondering if you had any uh, special memories or lessons that you learned from her, just a couple memories that, like, what do you think of when you think of her? Oh my gosh. I know it's probably a lot. She was very patient. She was a good balance for my dad because he had a temper. And um, she was funny. She always liked to have a good time. Um, I think my dad, well, now we're getting into the, sort of the histories of my dad and mom. Um, <clears throat> each of them lost their same-sex parent at an early age. 
I don't know if I mentioned this to you before. I knew La or Gigi did. She was about seven. Wow. Another thing, just to back up a little bit, she went to IC. So she's and she lived on Jackson. Do you know where she lived? On Jackson Street? No, she lived I'm sorry, at the corner of Third and Jackson. And okay. It was the southeast corner. It's a White House. Okay, yeah. Okay. A few blocks from school. And whenever we would hear sirens, this was true when I was in school, we'd always stop and say a prayer. Mm -hmm. So one day she was in school, I don't know, first grade, and the sirens went off and they prayed. And when she got home, she realized it was her house. Oh, wow. And um, later my Uncle George said that he thought it was something that he and my, one of my other uncles were doing something. And he thought that maybe they had caused this fire. I don't know that that was ever the case. But so her mom was supposed to have greater surgery. She had a thyroid issue and put that off because of the fire. So when she did go for surgery, um, and of course they didn't have the hospitals like they are today, she did not make it through oh. the surgery. So Jeez. I think mom was about seven. Wow. And she was left with three brothers, two older and a younger. And then my grandpa, a few years later, her, her, his mom came to live with them sort of and help out. And he remarried a lady who um, was a widow, had one son, and um, so that made, now we have four boys, two older, oh, wow. two younger. Yeah. And so she didn't really have anybody kind of to, you know, at the age of seven, her same-sex parent and her mom um, was not there. Yeah, and then a new lady comes in, but she's bringing another boy around too. So. Another boy, and she wasn't Catholic, which oh. my grandma Hoffman, or grandma, um, her name was Clara Agnes, was very um, Catholic. So, um, but... Grandpa thought that this would be a good person for his kids. And then for my dad, and honestly, Joe, I, didn't, I, sh I knew bits and pieces, but I really didn't put timelines and things together till I was 30 or 40. Shame on me. On me. Um, but he had an older aunt, uh, uh, no, there was an older sister, Evelyn, and then there was a son, Harold, and this was in January of 2000, or 1915, the end of January. His mom and dad lived in Cleveland and his dad was in construction. They were building homes. Somewhere along the line, he developed, um, he got the flu or pneumonia and he died. His name was Clarence. And then my dad was born at the end of August, that same year. Oh. And I thought, wow, I'll bet she didn't even know she was expecting Jeez. my dad. So there are the three kids. Well, I mean, he was probably as close to not even being, you know, that with that much of a gap. Yes. Wow. You could appreciate that now. That is amazing. That is amazing. And there was no welfare. There was no social security, nothing to fall back on. So this lady... My grandma, Josephine was her name, had to support this family. And they lived in this little house on 4th Street. Um, it was about 1918, 1919. 
and there was a Spanish flu epidemic throughout oh. the whole country, and Harold died. That was the, the um, brother. So my dad was left with his mom and his older sister, and I think that Josephine, I don't know how relevant this is, but the Streeters were Catholic. Josephine was Swedish, and she was Methodist. So my grandpa became, I guess, Methodist. They went to that Evangelical EUB Church, Evangelical United Brethren, which is right on 5th, kind of right around mm -hmm. so, the corner from their house right. on Jackson. So that's where my dad, they went to that church. And um, I, I think she was a very serious lady, uh, which, you know, you'd almost have to be. Oh, because yeah. Because she had a big responsibility. And I don't think she took a whole lot of nonsense. Well, as you know from that note that um, my brother sent, by the time my dad was a senior in high school, he was 17, and his mom passed away. I'm not sure from what. I don't know. Um, so basically at that point, my aunt and her, her husband, she had married a pharmacist. And they had two daughters who were like five and well, two, two daughters. So they moved in. Like they, they moved in and became Dad's family, basically. Um, in downtown Port Clinton, you would know there was a store. It was a, an office supply store. I can't think of the name of it. It wasn't Dean's. No, okay. it's on Madison. It's. Well, you know where Huntington Bank is. Mm -hmm. Okay, you go south, and it was down closer to, um, I'm just, Dean's, it was right in that area. Okay. It was called Timlin Drugstore when we were kids. It was a drugstore with a soda fountain. And oh, my fine. dad worked there, but um, why was I telling you that? Well, Anyway, my dad worked there for a few summers, but, um, oh, because my aunt's husband was a pharmacist and worked there. So my dad went to Miami University. Apparently that's where um, Eddie Beam went. That was my aunt's husband. And I think my dad thought he was gonna be a pharmacist. And I don't know if Ed said something to him or my dad realized that wasn't what he wanted to do and he ended up in accounting. But he used to tell that he would ride back and forth in a, that's a, not an easy drive. Oh, no, it's one of the worst. It is. And there still aren't big roads going there. No, when I went to school in Cincinnati, I-75 was pretty new and it looked, you know, it was pretty slick. But now I get on and I think, boy, this is kind of narrow, you mm -hmm. know, it's a lot of trucks. Um, so how they got back and forth. Uh, and then once you get off 75, it's a good, you know, it's really country and winding. So sometimes he said he would ride in the back of a truck. Somebody who he knew had a truck and, um, but I think in those days too, they used to send their laundry back and forth in these cardboard boxes. So he'd send his laundry home. My aunt would do it, stick an apple or an orange in, and that was a big deal, send it back. So, and. I, Excuse me, I think he went to, I'd have to figure this out and I haven't stopped to do that. I think he went to college before 
after he got out of college and he went into the service. Okay. And he was not, he was probably 5'9", not a real big guy, um, and a slight build. So he never left the country. He was sent to Texas. And he used to tell us that he was, he was, his assignment was to keep the submarines out of the Maumee River. <laughs> and he said, I did a pretty good job. You never saw any, did, or he, I mean, I wasn't born at that time, but he said there weren't ever any, so I must have done a good job. But we still laugh at that because um, he was, I think, a medic is what he ended up doing. Oh, cool. Yeah. So um, anyway, that those, both of my, each of those parents had lost their same sex parent. So it's kind of interesting that they got together um, they yeah. complimented each other pretty well. I was going to say, yeah, I know, um, looking forward to wanting to someday have a family of my own. I, my whole life, whether I knew I was doing it or not, watching you and Pop, Nan and Pap, and Mom and Dad just picking things here and there, and what, you know, how do I want to live and be a dad and have a family and all that, and I can't imagine not having, not only both parents but the the one that you know you want to be you know that would yeah, be you're right. very you're overwhelming identity kind of right yeah. yeah how do i yeah what what is what does a dad look like if you know that what does a dad do right yeah that'd be overwelming yeah and then you're not only that but you're also raised by the opposite sex parent exactly yeah and um you're gonna have to fit into their world because that's all they know and in my mom's case, there were a lot of them. Um, so that was, um, but her, she had, well, when my mom and dad married, and my, my aunt, Julia Gurner, um, who lived in where the house where Focus Point was, which was a block from our house, and she had a younger, well, there were seven in the family, but her younger sister who had never married lived there, and her name was Ida. So it was always Angela and Ida. And they were my great-great-aunts. My mom's great-aunts, my great-great-aunts. And they were cooks. So, you know, once in a while, would you send Mary Jo over? We just baked a pie, or we baked a cake, or we made a casserole. And then I'd have to go over, you know, pick it up. And, of course, I always, and I love spending time with them. Um, but Aunt Jewel was a businesswoman. She's the one who got the furniture store in the um, uh, more, more, uh, the funeral home business going. And she also owned a couple of um, properties in town. So right across the alley from, what is the, Frederick's Insurance, mm -hmm. right kind of across from the uh, post office, there was a, a building, you know, a house on the main floor, it housed businesses and up above were apartments and we lived up above. So um, we always were sort of in that neighborhood because, well, then the house that we grew up in, or that we, we bought, I think was a family house that came on the market and my, my aunt probably said to my dad, you should buy that. You know, it's a good house for you as a, a log house. And 
So that's where we grew up. Those were our stomping grounds. And um, it seemed like families clustered in those days. If you found one, there were two or three together. And um, that seems like a good way to grow up in a safe environment and have everybody around watching out for you. You can not stray too far and not really have to worry about a whole lot. That is true because um, and a couple of my aunts and uncles had police radios, so they always knew what we were doing. And there were times my mom knew what I would do walking home from school before I ever got home. And she would know if I didn't wear my coat or my hat or stepped in a puddle because somebody along the line would, would see it. So um, on one hand, it was, yes, it was a safe environment. On the other hand, it was like, oh my gosh, their eyes. A little everywhere. overbearing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yet there was a lot of love and we had a, we had a great time. We had a lot of fun. Um, I had to walk to school, walk to IC. It was probably all of about three blocks. I felt like it was about three miles. <laughs> And nobody went my way, so it wasn't like I had friends to walk with. Um, sometimes I'd go up Monroe Street, sometimes I'd go through town and go up Madison. And, you know, just funny little things like the viaducts. I'd get to the viaduct and then I'd run under it because I always thought the train is going to fall over. Just, you know, goofy little things that kids go on in kids' minds. Um, and then we moved out to 8th Street. I think I was almost 16 when we moved out there. So my other sisters, my brother and sisters, grew up there more than I did. I was almost on my way out. And how, there. what's the age gap between you and the rest of the streeter gang? At least I would say um, when my... My folks were having kids. The doctor would say three years is a good span. So there's there's almost four years between my next sibling. Um, he was born in December, but I think my mom had a miscarriage. So if she was facing us three years, you have a miscarriage, that's going to push it back a little bit. And then it was... Um, three years between Bill and Patty, three years between Patty and Martha, and a little over three years between uh, Martha and Carol. So that's 16? Well, 13, 13 between Carol and me. Okay. Yeah. Carol and the gap between your dad and Carol is 11. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they're closer than she and I. Um, so you were you ever in school with um, Uncle Bill even? Yes. Um, well, when when he was in first grade, I was in fourth grade. Okay. Because when he was a freshman, I was a senior. Okay. Um, yeah, and when I was at school, we just had that one main building. The church and the school were not connected. There was no gym. And it was just, there were classrooms in the bottom in the basement. I think that's where seventh and eighth grade were. And we had a big class because we were the baby boomers. Uh -huh. So they went from like 30 kids to a class to about 50 or 60 kids to a class. 
Um, and that's what I think they decided to add that back addition. So first grade was, in fact, some of the grades were together combined, like they might have had fifth and sixth together. Um, but I think it was when I was in third grade, they finally built that back section of the school. That was the new school. And we went we, we third grade or fourth grade going in. Seems to be at Christmas break, we went back and we were in our new school then, and we were upstairs, I remember. So we went to Mass every day. Oh, wow. Mass was at 8 o'clock or 8.30. I guess it was at 8.30. And that's where we gathered. If you lived close, I suppose they expected you to be on time, but you know the kids who came in from the country on the buses, they would get there, they would just come in when they got there. Right into Mass? And yeah, huh. yeah. And then from there, we'd go with our books and our lunch pail and our coats and hats over to the school. And yeah, um, let's see, we always went out for recess. I'm just trying to think of some other things that, that we, we did. So being the oldest, what was uh, your relationship like with the other siblings growing up? I know that I butted heads with Max growing up you know, being the closest in age. And then um, by the time we were in high school together, I loved having him around, you know, have, we did all the same stuff. You know, that was a lot of fun. And then Marcella, I feel like I have to be a leader and a good role model for her. And uh, I'm a little bit more removed from her situation. So I feel like I can give better advice but I was just wondering what your experience was. And I didn't have anybody else after that. You know, we're all within five years, and Uncle Bill's almost that by himself. So It's true. Yeah. Um, I, I remember when he started first grade, I would like to, being the older sister, it's like they're always, I don't know if it was by nature or personality or if that's what was expected. But I would go into the classroom with him and make sure his desk was all in order and he knew where to put his books and then pretty soon Sister Patrick said, you don't have to come in anymore. You know, she was like, don't do this. And I, at the time I was, I thought, well, I have to take care of him. But um, I could understand, you know, she knew that he didn't need that, that he would be fine on his own. except. The other thing, back in that day, the kids whose birthdays were up to a certain point, if you were born in the spring, you could go to kindergarten. If you were born in the fall, you did go to kindergarten. Like my friend Priscilla Ferris, her birthday's in September, she did go to kindergarten. That's weird. But we just both started first grade. Yeah. Well, my brother's birthday was December. And that was, what do you think about it? He was very young. Um, when he started school. And I think my mom probably thought um, we should keep him back a year, which I think um, educationally he was smart, but physically, socially, um, that year would have maybe been helpful. Um, there are other things to consider than just you could do the work. And so he was put in school, so he was well, five. Did he just turn five when he started, or was he? I think 
Okay, I was seven at the end of first grade because I made my first communion, so that would have been I was six. You must have been not quite five when oh, you started wow. first grade. So, um, and then with the rest of them, it was, at that time, the gap was seemed wide. We didn't seem to have as much in common. Patty and I, seven years again, she was started, there are three fall birthdays. Um, Martha's Halloween, and then Patty the middle of November, and then Bill almost the middle of December, and they were all put in school. And they probably all would have been benefited from an extra year out of school. Um, and then when I was about fourth grade, I started, they would leave me to baby, I could babysit. So it was never a, a you know, an issue because it was a safe area and Usually it was bedtime, so everybody was in bed and they might have gone to Playbridge or something. So um, then when, when I went to college, I was a freshman in college. Carol was in kindergarten, Martha was in grade school, Patty was in junior high, Bill was in high school. So we had one end of our grade level for that year. Wow. So that tells you we're really at that age spread out. and. Um, then I went to Cincinnati, Mount St. Joe for a couple of years, then transferred to Marquette for dental hygiene. And um, I was home in the summers and worked, but I was working. And so we never really did much together as, until we got to be adults, I would say. Interesting. Yeah. Now that you said that, I hadn't really thought about that that much. And then, in 70, I got married, and um, Patty was 16, so Martha was about 13, and Carol was 10. So, and I was married, right. starting to have kids, and um, they were still growing up. So it wasn't until they started having, getting married and having their families. Then we kind of came together as um, siblings and friends, and we'd come home for the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. I remember one Thanksgiving, we laugh about it because it seemed like Patty and Martha were there, and it seemed like we never got out of the kitchen. We started with breakfast with the kids rolling through, yeah. the little Cox kids and the little Sutterberg kids, um, and. A, my kids, and then that evolved in this lunch, and then that just rolled right into Thanksgiving dinner. So it was fun. We just laugh about it. And that was yeah. in the Eighth Street house. That was in yeah. the Eighth Street house. Yeah. You, yeah. Even I have some good memories over there in the kitchen, and then wrap around into the family room right there. Yeah. Yeah. It had a lot of good memories at this table. Now this is it. Um, this is it. A lot yeah. of games. Of, this table seen a lot of games of pet, huh? A lot of games of a lot of games of um, when I was in high school, we would come to mom and dad's house and we'd play gin. So it was, you know, we were like across from each other. So we'd have four or five games of gin between two people, and then we'd rotate partners. That's fun. And my cousin Linda, um, well, you would know, a uh, Grace. Um, uh, John, what was John's, what's John's last name? My cousin Linda lived two doors down, 
you know, next to my mom and dad was my aunt, my dad's older sister, auntie, and then next to her was my mom's brother, Uncle Jim and Aunt Grace, uh, and that was on 8th Street. Mm -hmm. So, um, and Linda was the year behind me, so we often got together. We had the bigger house so we could accommodate a group of kids and you know, probably not like what you do hauling your friends home and um, on a Friday night or Saturday night and Sunday afternoon and yeah, just uh, play cards. The one question I gave you a little bit of prep mom gave me yesterday was uh, the, something brave that you're proud of. I just yeah. didn't know if you, I know that's a very tough question, so if you don't have anything. I have thought about that one a lot. I think you said, you know, anything about the particular grades. And all I remember about grade school is, I think most of the time I must have been a pistol because, um, the, and the nuns were strict. Now I never, um, there were a, a handful of kids who were usually in trouble. Most of us were really good, but I can remember, um, I probably talked. <laughs> And with, when you have 50 or 60 kids in the class, you can't do that. When we would leave school, we were lined up um, and we couldn't talk. I mean, we were, so, we were very orderly. That's how they were and that's how we had to be. Um, and you didn't want to be like one of the, the bad kids who was creating problems. We did not have a full-time principal in the principal's office. She was teaching eighth grade. So they all taught. So it wasn't like you're going to the principal's office because there was nobody in there. And we had to behave. Um, so I think it wasn't until in seventh grade, I had Sister Pierre, who I think had been someone my mom had known. And I was her pet. And that was the first year that I actually, I think, behaved because I didn't want to disappoint her. And um, so I was pretty good. And then eighth grade, um, I got off to a wrong start with Sister Philomene, and she was the principal. And um, never could redeem myself after that. I think I got a bad grade in conduct. Oh, um, me too. So, um, Oh, what would we do with, we wouldn't have good stories if we didn't have those. Right. Um, and then in high school, um, I, I, I was in band the first year or two. My mom and dad, my cousin had played the clarinet. So they had this clarinet that I had to play because my dad bought it from my aunt. And so I did that freshman year. They said, you have to be in the band, you have to be in the clarinet. Now, I also had taken piano lessons for like from fourth grade on for a few years and it wasn't, I just didn't have the um, will to learn these things at that age. I don't know where my head was, but I didn't have the discipline. So I must, it was probably pretty frustrating for mom and dad too. Um, did your siblings have those requirements as well? No. Okay, yeah, I know just being the oldest sometimes there's a lot of like, you gotta do this and this and this, and that doesn't always stay that way. You're kind of the trial and error kid. Right. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, so you know, that's what that is. Um, and in high school, we started out across the street. By then they had built a new high school, which became the junior. Yeah, it was the junior high probably. When Was that a junior high when you were there? The one that got... They tore down? I think that was... I think Gigi went to that one, didn't she, for high school? Well, there was a, what we called the East Building, and it was right across from the courthouse. It was a little... I don't know if that was still there when you... That was the East Building. That, that I think, was the original high school. Yeah, I went to, that, I went to middle school there. You did, and yeah. then, okay. The one um, that they Tenth Street and Jefferson, right? The one that's closer to like Eighth Street, that campus right there. That's where there's the high school, and then there's a new, brand new middle school right there. Yeah, did you 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 didn't go to? Did you go to that middle school? I I got to go there for the back half Last, of eighth grade. Okay, yeah. and then right across the street for high school. But before then, then you had gone across the street from IC on Jefferson. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's where we went to high school. Okay. And that was a fairly new building at the time. So um, I, I just remember chemistry, and I could not get it in my head how the electron shells filled up. I don't know why I wouldn't. Um, we had a good teacher. I can see his face right now. I can't think of his name, but you know who taught um, typing? It was Mr. Selleck. Oh, really? Yep. He was my typing teacher, and he also did the yearbook. So, um, let's see, um, but I thought, I don't, I don't get this, and I, I just never wanted to put in the time. That would be so totally different now. Um, I don't know why, but um, junior year was a good year. I didn't do much of anything sophomore year. Junior year, the only thing that was open to girls was cheerleading. So I got to be a cheerleader. And it was my junior year that we moved into the new high school. That was new. And they did have a synchronized swimming for girls. But otherwise, we had GAA, which is Girls Athletic Association. You could do something with sports through that, but we didn't have any opportunities to play basketball or uh, volleyball. Wow. Um, just the boys, and they did football, basketball. They started wrestling, I remember. Um, so, synchronized swimming, it wasn't a competition, it was just sort of more performance kind of. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, so what was the. Uh, it was a good year, and then senior year, sort of glad to be on. So then what would a, a day be like in high school if there was, you just go, what would you do after class? I assume in the morning it would be breakfast and getting ready for school, and then school was uh, probably math, science, history, language, arts, and maybe some electives. An or something. Yeah, or like, uh, yeah um, elective. Um, I... I suppose we had cheerleading practice, and 
We probably had synchronized. Oh no, that was what we got. Yeah, we got to the new school. We had synchronized swimming practice maybe. And I don't remember too much else actually. Hmm. I do remember by that time we lived on 8th Street and high school was right across the field. And I said, I saw, oh, the other thing is we went to the orthodontist, and then you went to the orthodontist every two weeks. Oh, wow. They, the orthodontist made the little bands, and they had to be tightened every two weeks. So every two weeks we drove to Toledo, and that was a whole morning off. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and my, my braces, I think, finally came off when I was 16. So I was in them for a few years because it was a different process back then. And we were... We were very fortunate to be able to have that because it was, uh, you know, it wasn't a given. Orthodontics were expensive at that time, but it was very labor intensive. And as the methods became uh, improved, it really stayed the same because they could do it in a much faster way. They didn't have to make all those little bands by hand and things like that. So. Um, so anyway, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I just said I we were in Toledo, and sometimes we'd have to wait for the other kids so we could run across the street to the museum or go shopping. And one time, I saw an umbrella I really liked, and I said, "If I'm going to walk to school, I either need a car or an umbrella." Well, you know what? I got the umbrella. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to get a car to drive a block to hey, school. Hey, that's a, at least you got one of them. That's a good all. You were, probably weren't going to get any of them unless you came up with that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I figured, how could I, you know. Um, and as far as being brave, I cannot, I have been thinking about that and I can't think of anything that I did that I thought was exceptionally brave. I know, that's a tough question. I just floated it to you. But, um, so I know. But it's a good one. Yeah. Some of the thing, one of the things I just remember, we were talking about things that go on in little kids' minds i noticed that in dad's family between he and uncle bill he was the oldest and he went off to ohio and uncle bill is around you guys in wisconsin and then in mom's family at the time we lived pretty close to nan and pap and then Aunt Cal and Uncle Scott and um, Aunt Cal and Uncle Terry, who are three and four in that family, and mom's the youngest, lived kind of close in Columbus. And then number two was Aunt Erin, far in Pittsburgh. And then Aunt Den was all the way down in Kentucky and then Minnesota, so that's right. oldest. And then you were the first one getting ready to go off into the world. And Cincinnati's not close. And then Wisconsin's really not close. So I was just wondering what uh, gave you the courage and uh, I guess inner fortitude to be able to say like, I'm gonna go off and do this. And cause that's a long way to be away from everybody, especially when you have your whole family and the cluster of, you know, all your relatives are right here in Port Clinton. Um, I think that I was ready to maybe spread my wings and I was accepted at Mount St. Joe. I only applied, I think, to two schools. Um, the other was Ohio State. Fortunately, I wasn't accepted there, I don't think. I, I applied to the dental hygiene program, but they, 
there was another hygiene school, and I think it was at Cuyahoga Community College. I'm not, I'm not sure. So I started at Mount St. Joe. I figured, honestly, I thought, I have to get develop some study habits. This is serious business here. So I went there with, so I wouldn't have distractions, and I'd have, it was a very secure, comfortable school, new. Um, I, um, just dumb little things, like I was the oldest of five, my roommate was the second oldest of ten. Oh wow! She had an older sister, eight younger brothers. Wow! And she came from Cleveland. Her father was a physician, and we were roommates for two years. Um, and then I was accepted at Marquette and Dell Hygiene. So that was it. I was sort of excited to be heading off. So what? your direction kind of prompted you to just go wherever that led you. Yep. That's nice to have. Yeah. Do you, so um, Marcella is getting ready to go through that phase right now. Do you have any advice for what she might be going through? Um, it helps to know what you want to do or even what you think, what direction you think you want to go. She was talking about maybe physical therapy. So that would be good because then you can focus for those electives. You could maybe take sciences or take courses that would support your the direction you want to go. I think it would be really hard to be in school without knowing what you want to do. But when I got to school, there were people studying things that I'd never heard of, like uh, a med tech. I'd never heard of that before. There wasn't a lot open for Okay, I was in that mid-generation between when mom stayed at home and mom started going out working. So my dad, because, oh, backing up to my dad, his, um, I told you that my, his sister was married to a pharmacist and one day he got up and he didn't feel real well. So he said, I'm just gonna lay here on the couch. He passed away. Her daughters were five and seven. So it's like her, her life repeated her mom's life. And when, when I look at it in a different perspective, I think here's my dad, raised with women, and what does he end up with? A house full of women, five, four daughters, and my mom. And I felt so bad for him because the other males were by my mom's brothers, her own, or my uncles. Um, he always had male friends, but he always, in that day and age, they supported the women. So he knew what had happened to his mother and his sister. So he insisted that we get educated to fall, have something to fall back on. That's how we went in, yeah, different shift in mindset. So um, dental hygiene, I thought, was great for women. And at that time, benefits were a big deal. Um, health insurance, we didn't have it growing up. But we, if we were fortunate enough, we really didn't need it. Right. Nobody had too many bro broken bones. I don't know that any of us had a broken bone. Patty had a hernia. Somebody else might have had tonsils. But... Um, so his the philosophy was here he 
you know, worked hard to put us through school so we would have an education to fall back on. Um, and dental hygiene, I thought, was, it had flexibility. You could work a day, you could work five days, whatever you wanted. So um, I don't know what my parents thought about that when I, I was thrilled to be going to a Catholic school. Um, when I, when, one thing I look at now, and I think it's because of where I am in this, in life, where I am in life, I used to drive back and forth to Wisconsin by myself. And now I look at that and I think, oh my gosh, you know, it's uh, just from getting from Milwaukee to Indiana and that whole Chicago corridor, it's different. And uh, boy, if I had a daughter, I don't know that I'd want her to be driving by herself. So what we're saying right now is Marcella should go to Marquette and then just drive to your house. To right. Ours. Okay. Right. Marquette or Wisconsin right. and just plan on staying at our house. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That would be my solution. But I think when I look back, I think that was a pretty brave thing to do, but I didn't think of it as brave at the time. That's just what everybody was doing. And that's about the time the interstate system was being built, too. Um, I think in the 50s, the turnpike was built. No, oh, wow. I can remember that when it opened, and my mom said, get in the car, we're going to take a ride on the turnpike. <laughs> it was a big deal. So um, it's just funny that, you know, those are the big things in our lives. Another thing, when I was a kid, I don't know if you want to know this stuff. Of course. But um, when we lived on Monroe Street, our phone number was 9353. Four digits. And when we first moved in, we had a party, a party line. That means there were like maybe four or five other families all in that same line. So you could pick up the phone. You could listen in on other, somebody else's conversation. You weren't supposed to do that. Oh. But you couldn't call out and you couldn't get a call because the line was tied up. So then, and I was, oh, wouldn't it be neat to be like the big cities in Cleveland where they had an exchange? It would be Beachwood 45789 or, you know, something. And I thought, I used to think about what our exchange could be. Well, then we did get a 732 or 734 and then the rest of your digits. So we were kind of growing up as a little city. And um, I, I just can remember, you know, that a lot of people had those four digit numbers and some of them were on party lines, but that ended the party line. So, um, and I'm not sure why I'm telling you that other than that was just, that's just how it was. So it's funny now. Yeah. So um, when did you meet Pop? Uh, I met him when I was in dental hygiene. Was it my? It was my freshman year. I mean, my it was my junior year, first year there. And actually, he was dating my roommate. Oh. Yeah, and he was. Was he a junior? I think a junior in in dental school. Um, and, oh, I, this is what, yeah, I don't know if he'll tell you this. There was a, a bar near Marquette called the Ardmore. And I don't know if I, I'd have to look back, but if I was celebrating my 21st birthday, and it might have been right around Easter, 
I can't remember what it was, but I know that um, I think across the street was a dorm, and I think that there was mass in the basement of that dorm, that little chapel. Uh, he probably remembers it better than I do, but what it came out to look like was I had stopped into the Ardmore for a drink while I was waiting to go to mass. And he never forgot, oh, you, so you just stopped in for a drink on your way to Mass. So he thought that was hilarious. Um, and uh, I don't know when. He had a friend who was dating one of my classmates. And I honestly don't remember the first date or anything now that you say that, but we just kind of, you know, I thought, my mom will love this guy. <laughs> and if my mom likes a guy, that was, he was what I could take home. He was just down to earth, um, funny, he had a good sense of humor, kind of laid back, you know. So, I don't know, it was just, it wasn't a, um, how do I want to say, drop dead, fall in love kind of thing. It was just a solid, you know, you just felt comfortable with each other. Yeah, that's, so, I think that's, those are the best, you know, ones. You don't want something that'll flame out. That's well, very... Yeah, you want something that's going to be lasting mm -hmm. because after the titillating love is gone, you're, you're going to be putting it a few years with this person. Right. And to be honest, there are times, um, and, you know, I've never lived around family, so it's always been, you have to kind of stick it out. You have to battle it out. You can't go running home. Right. Um, and and so, sometimes there are times I just look at this guy and say, who the heck is this guy in <laughs> 50 years? And you think, well, that's a head scratcher. But I think by now I'm starting to get it figured out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my parents have both said the same thing. You know, just one day you're like, what the heck? I know. What was I thinking? I know. Yeah. Um, it, but that maybe kind of keeps it fun and interesting, too. As long as, you know, somebody doesn't go off the deep end, um, it's within an acceptable rate. Well... I think it's sort of like when you start out, it's like this, this one changes because you're going to continue developing. So this one changes and then this one changes and sometimes you change together, but then I guess it's like this and then there's a point in time when you're sort of on the same page and then you start going like this. Just missed each other? Yeah, well like it's just the like, flyby. Okay. You're going, yeah, yeah, you're going other directions, but um, so there's always that um, need to keep in touch. And I have to remember, tell you one time, um, it was after my dad passed away, like 94, 95, and my aunt and uncle always would go down to Florida. Two, two of my aunts and uncles, one had a condo down there in, um, oh my gosh, and the other one would go down for the winter, but they would rent a place and they were like an hour north of, and I, right now both of the names are escaping me. 
So, well, that goes back. So I was in my, in my 40s. There was a book that had come out called Women Are From Venus, Men Are From Mars. And they had put out a little calendar with a little saying from that book for each day. My Aunt Grace, and my Aunt Grace and Uncle Jim had been married probably over for 40 or 50 years at that point. She's showing me on this page why men and women, what it takes for them to communicate. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they've been married 40 years and they're still working on learning to communicate. And I know. It never ends. But um, so that's one of the things. Don't go in with the expectation that you're going to, it's going to, sometimes it just, you know, you're always learning it. And that was, uh, that stuck with me. I thought, this is hilarious that at their stage, after all these years, they're still trying to figure it out. I guess that's how it is. Hmm. So. Yeah, some things never change, but people right. cer- certainly do. Yes, yes. Um, and then you and Pop got married right did you right after you finished school? In 1970, yes. Well, actually, I had finished in December of 69, and then I was working, yes, and then we got married um, in July of 70. And then the around that time, about a little under a year later, the Milwaukee Bucks won their first NBA championship. And then as uh, we just looked up the other day. That was with Herb Cole who owned the Bucks and brought him to Milwaukee. And it was with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? Yep. Yeah, they had recruited him. And about a week after the Bucks had won, uh, Joseph Michael Brenner was born. Okay. Because we looked it up that uh, dad had gone almost exactly 50 years of it, you know, they it had been 50 years since the Bucks just won this year, oh. and Dad was born a week after they had won it in '71. So, so they must have won. They must have had their championships over by the end of April. Oh yeah, they, yeah, much shorter. There were less teams, and the playoffs were much shorter format. So yeah, and they played less games. It was, I think, it was in April that they that yeah, it was right around when Dad was born, but. Uh, key and then uh, William Clarence Brenner are two of my favorite guys. And what do you like when you held them for the first time? Did you have any idea that that is the people that they would become? And I'm sure that their personality started to poke out pretty early on because they both have big ones. <laughs> uh, just when did you start to see what these guys were and what was that like with them running around? They were both cute. They were a lot of fun. They felt very different as babies. Um, they were both good kids. I, I don't ever remember having a problem, really. I, I don't know why. Um, not to say that there weren't things, but they were not anything major. You probably heard about some of them about the one time um, for whatever reason, I think it was in the spring, and I went to the, we had a, the old St. Jerome church, and I was a reader. So Pop dropped me off. I don't remember what, where he went. And your dad and brother 
your dad was driving and he drove the van, we had a van. So he and Uncle Bill went to St. Joe de Arc, which is over in Ogachi. Well, the mass that I went to, all of a sudden Joe's grandpa pop was there picking me up and he was sob. And the two boys are in the back seat. And I come out all smiles, it's a beautiful sunny day. And I get in the car and there everybody is sober faced. Dad said, well, did you notice the side of the car? And I said, well, no, what happened? And, well, when the boys were coming back from um, church, Dad's grandma Saab was sitting in the driveway, and your dad was driving, and as they're turning into the driveway, Uncle Bill's doing this with the steering wheel, and boom, 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 wiped out the side of Uncle, or Grandpa Pop's Saab with the van in our driveway. Ah, oh, jeez. I still think it's funny, but of course he was not happy at all. And the poor boys, now they had, well, these boys are going to pay for that. But um, I'm sure that they can tell you more tales. <laughs> I worked a couple of days a week, and, and they were old enough to be home alone. Um, I have no idea what went on. Um, one of the things that I always said is, um, I have to think for a minute. Uncle Bill was at lacrosse, and he, he's a, they're both funny. Mm -hmm. I have to say they're both funny, but um, he had a friend who, I don't know, did something and ended up, I don't know if he ended up spending the night in jail for something, drinking or who knows what. And this was kind of my philosophy. I said, well, you know what would happen if you ended up in jail? And he said, yeah, I do. I would say, I'd get the call, I'd say, are you okay? Well, okay, I'll see you when you get out. I mean, I wasn't about to go down there and bail them out. I believe you face your consequences. If they, there were never serious ones, um, but I just thought, how else do you learn? Right. You know, I just think if you're gonna do that, then, then you have to know what it's like. Um, but I'm not gonna, I was not the one to run down there and just, what are you doing to my child? You know, I, um, I, I didn't grow up that way. We were, the nuns were always right, we were always wrong, and I don't, even though sometimes we were right, right. and they were hard on us, but that didn't hurt us at all. Um, but I never, I, I don't know, I, and I think if you start that early, where you take on the consequences of your actions. Now, sometimes it's not deserved, but, um, and you know, your, your parents are there to support you or work through it with you. But um, well, you kids were always good kids, you know? For the most part. Well, you know, you have to do some things. I think my kids were better than I was as a kid because we, you know, there was one time I remember it was in the fall, and we were in high school, and we went down somewhere. We got pumpkins. We stole pumpkins, I think. And then we went down Sand Road and pitched them at, at mailboxes. You hit any? I think so. Uh, yeah. Well, then this wasn't a total waste. I know, but, you know, that's a federal offense. Yeah. But I always figured I didn't do quite the shenanigans that my mother did. My mother talked about, they used to swim in the river, 
by the Aquab. They used to jump off the drawbridge. Oh, geez. I know. <laughs> anyway, so it's, you know, you have to do some things to develop some kind of um, street smarts. You just don't want to do any, you just have to have that common sense that says, okay, that's probably not a good idea. All right. So, but you do have to do some things because otherwise, then you're too naive and your kids will just run circles around you, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so when you were growing up, you had Uncle Bill and then four sisters and you guys are all pretty far spread apart. Was there any shock for you having just the boys and them being so close? I know they were a little bit of rough housing. Was that like ever weird or scary or anything or was it all... You just expected it, or yeah, I, I think to some degree um, we did our share of fighting. My brother and I did. Mm -hmm. um, one time he—I don't know—he had a rifle of some kind, and I did something that provoked him. So he got his gun out. Well, my uncle Jim came down, and that was the end of that. He took the rifle, um, and my sisters could tell you other stories. Bill, Bill was. Well, he was a typical boy. My mom was used to that, and she grew up. You cater to the men. That's what her her aunts taught her. You see that you take care of your man and the men and defer to them. So my my brother was always at a pedestal, and we were, you know, the ones who were supposed to keep him up there, I guess. Um, but I don't. Huh. I don't. Um, it, it didn't, no, I don't, I, I would have, I wanted about 10 kids. Pop said two, I said eight, he said two, I said six. Um, I think I told you when I went to Mount St. Joe, my roommate had 10 kids. Yeah. And in Fort Clinton, we had five kids, so that was sort of a good-sized family. I go to Mount St. Joe, and these people have eight kids, seven kids, 10 kids. And I'm writing home saying, have more kids. <laughs> and I thought I'd like to have a big family. But Pop came um, from, he had one older sister, she was adopted. And so that was it too. And I, th I thought, I like my kids closer together and I want them when I'm young and early so we can sort of do things. Um, and. You know, I would have liked to have had at least two more kids, but I'm happy with the two I've got. Yeah, they turned yeah. out okay. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So now um, I've had some people pass me some questions. So I'm going to just ask you a few oh. things. And uh, to start off, we're going to go with just one memory. Is this going out in the book? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just one memory. I get half the royalties. Okay. 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 Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. That, you're, uh, I already had your lawyer sign that away, but okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> we'll keep you in the fold. Okay. But, uh, you're going to inherit me in my old age to support me anyway. So. Right. A, uh, one memory from each parent and then one Mary, memory with each sibling as adults. That is a good one to reflect on. A memory from each parent, of my, my two parents. Yeah. Um, 
Oh gosh. Well, one one that makes me laugh. There's one that I heard my mom and dad I think went to a wedding, and and dad was didn't often let down in front of us us kids. So um, I'd heard that he had gone to a wedding and that he was jumping on the bed. And that just, I mean, I would have loved to have been there to see that. But um, the other thing was after he had a stroke, he, it was one Christmas and I think there were, I can't remember what they were, little lit Santas or something out back or right there. And we just got real goofy. My, my sisters will still talk about this. Martha and I were laughing the other day because dad was always, dad was not one to watch TV well, before he had a stroke, but after that, you know, he watched a little bit more TV. So he's always in his recliner watching TV and we'd go in and out the door. Um, <clears throat> I said, dad, you know, when you go, we're not going to have you embalmed and bury you. We're just going to have you stuffed. And you and Mom are going to be in your rockers, and then we're going to have a, like a museum. And when you come through, you can push the button, and the rocker will go back and forth, and we could hear him laugh. He laughed about that, and that whole Christmas holiday, we just got goofier and goofier about, you know, the, the, this whole thing, and we just all remember laughing about it. So as far as things that he said, I, you know, that's, I'm, that's I a good one, though, if, that's his, that if is, his laugh sticks out. Yes. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. To see him, yeah. Because he would just, it was funny to hear him laugh. And my mom, um, gosh, it's funny, you know, going back to the earlier, I'd have to think about that. If, there, if anything on Monroe Street, if there were any memories that, um, he was always at a white shirt and tie. Even on Saturday, out planting flowers, he'd be in a white shirt because that's what he wore. Never had a pair of jeans. I can remember it was Christmas one year and we got him jeans. And one year, I don't know why this happened, we got, or they got bowling balls. So we all started to go bowling. And then we had a lot of fun doing that too. And what, what were, oh shoot. I, I, well, one thing mom said to me was, if I'd known that you were gonna go to Wisconsin and never come home, I would have never let you go. <laughs> so that I would stay there and not come back home. Um, she always stuck up for us pretty much. Dad was, again, because he grew up so frugally, we, you, you didn't just throw things away. You. Um, like when I had my retainer for my braces, if I'd lost that, I would have been buying my next one because that was my responsibility to see. And we never, you know, you just knew that you had to take care of it. Um, boy, I, I'll have to think about that. How about some with your siblings? With my siblings. Well, Patty, um, we always got along well. The three of them were in one room and that I went to college. I said to her, feel free to move into that bedroom if you want. Well, she moved over there, but 
she wanted to have Martha come over with her. <laughs> she didn't like being alone. So I don't think she ever did. I think she just stayed in her, over in her room. Um, we used to play pit, and one time I remember on 8th Street we were playing pit, and my cousin David, his wife Sherry, actually crawled up on the table because she was dealing with a partner maybe at the other end, and I can remember my dad laughing about that. He thought that was hilarious. Um, but the siblings, let's see. I know I've had some good times at the lot with all of you. Yeah, yeah, we've always, we always had good times at the lot. One time, it was during the week, and my mom took a friend of mine with out there, the two of us, and we started walking. Um, I can't remember if her, his, her mom was there. Just things you do, stupid things you do as a kid. We walked all the way to Rockledge in the water, and we were gone for a long time. You could imagine as a, my, I hadn't told my mom, we didn't know what we were going to do. So they had, her mom came and they were just panicking. You know, by the time we got back, mom was pretty cool with them, but her mother, her mother was the kind of, you're grounded. You know, she oh, was yeah. a, um, kind of a punisher, you might say. Um, yeah, so I, my mom was really, easy going about some things. She, I think she internalized a lot. Hmm. Um, but she was always there for me, I would have to say that. And I'll say, for Bill, I am, I'm trying to think, I remember that one time when I left home, he had a t-shirt that said King William on it, like he was the king and my sisters were his subjects. Hmm. Um, let's see, what about Martha? Martha was always very quiet. Patty and Martha were really good kids. They never did anything. Though Martha, this had nothing to do with me, but when Martha was about, you know, little girls can run around without shirts and tops till they're about four, maybe five. Well, she was maybe about seven. And she was still running around in the backyard on 8th Street. How, how, well, I'm trying, I don't remember. Two, three, four. Yeah, that would be about right. She was about seven. And that was all wooded back there because the hospital hadn't developed all that backyard. It was the woods. It was, it was, and they had picnic tables back there. It was very nice, very private. Hmm. Um, and my dad went out and said, Martha, you have to come in here and put on a shirt. <laughs> so, um, but she didn't know. I mean, it wasn't, she was just playing right. with the kids next door and doing what she'd always done. So, um, and I just remember with Carol, she had to get glasses. She had amblyopia, I and mean, I think she was about three or four. She got glasses, and I think my mom felt real bad about that. Um, but, um, uh, and again, like I said, she was in kindergarten, and I remember saying her to her one time, what did, something about, if you, you know, I would be her protector if anything ever happened, you know, to give me a call, and, um, but she was always 
you really couldn't tell her too much. So um, she was always pretty determined and um, do it her own way. And because she was the last, the youngest, she probably got away with a lot. It was like there were four of us and she got a lot oh, away with a lot. And I think it was because mom and dad figured we're gonna need her to stay home to take care of us and she'll be the last one. Uh, we did take a trip one time when it was before my senior year in college. It was like a three-week trip. We went out to Arizona. We drove two cars. Your whole fam? The whole family. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dad figured it was the last time we... One time we went to Washington, D.C. Okay, this is a little story. The five of us, seven of us in the station wagon. And Carol rode in the back back. I think I was a sophomore in college. And we get to Washington, D.C. And... We were going to stay, I think, at a Holiday Inn, and here's the Holiday Inn. But we couldn't figure out how to, the road went right by it. We couldn't figure out, so my dad turns around, and we go back, and we get it a second time. <laughs> and by this time, we're laughing, and he is not. Oh, that this, sounds like my dad. Yes, he doesn't think this was funny at all, and it was probably getting darker. It was a foreign place. You didn't have Google on your phone or MapQuest, and... So finally, on the third time around, we figured we had to get off the exit before and then figure out how to get to this oh. hotel. But I can remember that because he was getting pretty uptight about it. And I can understand. Oh, with, yeah. Um, you know, five kids in the car and no seatbelts. I mean, we didn't wear seatbelts then. Um, but this, then, like a year or two later, we went out to Arizona and... Um, the first stop was St. Louis, and they had just built the Gateway Arch. Very cool. Yeah, so we got to go up in that. But this is the kind of thing, so, so my dad says to my mom, you take the girls and go check in at the hotel. Bill and I are gonna go to the, bas the um, baseball game. She said, absolutely not, <laughs> you're not gonna do that, but that's, you know, that's what, there was a game going on, I don't know who they were playing, but he wanted to go to the game, and she said, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so um, it didn't, that didn't happen, but that was a fun trip, and we had a Ford, was it the Ford convertible? It was another car in a station wagon, and we would kind of rotate who was doing what, and Bill and I were the only drivers, I think. In addition to mom and dad, I think he, he could drive at that point. Um, yeah, but um, so sometimes as we were like in Oklahoma, we, it was like, oh, there's the Cowboy Hall of Fame. It's only a hundred miles north. Okay, let's go see it. Oh, you know, wow. That's what we would do. We just sort of, dad was, for an accountant, he was very kind of spontaneous. It really was a surprise. One other thing, my mom, because her dad was a mortician, if you were there 10 minutes early, you were late. My dad, we never left the house until it was the time we were supposed to be there. And that was just out of character for him, it seemed. You'd think he'd want to be early, but my mom would be, you know, pacing around. She'd be all ready. This is every Sunday we'd go to the lot. And all our brothers were there, and all my cousins. 
So she'd be dying to get out there. We had one car, and he'd be putzing around out in the yard. And, oh, yeah, we're supposed to be there at 3. We didn't leave the house till 3 or 3.30. Jeez. So there were some habits that I picked up that weren't good and um, that I had to learn. You know, like being on time was one of them. So. Um, and then just we talked about how Marcella's going to college, and the other side of that is my parents are going to be without kids in the house since for the first time in 23 years. 24 years by that time. Yeah, just about. Yeah. So what is your advice as for that side of things as well? Uh, well... I know we talked about communication being a big thing, but was there, you know, I know um, I've, you know, on TV and stuff, they always say the kids are there and then life happens a million miles an hour for however many years and then you just wake up and then... That yep. stop. Yeah. And that's how it is when you guys would come up to visit. It was like an explosion at, at a ball. We had a, and all of a sudden you were gone and it, I would say the silence is deafening. But that's what I like to do the laundry, do the sheets, do the beds. And I, all I do, because that's mindless stuff. And then I can think about the fun we had. So that's how I took care of those. I mean, that's how I worked through those things when you were there and then you were gone. But when the boys left, um, that's when I went back to get a master's. So I never had that empty nest syndrome. A couple things your dad had left. Uh, you probably heard that story where he worked his junior year in high school. I said, you know, we always have to work in the summer. That's what we had to do. So I said, you have to get a job. Well, you know, kind of walk, you don't have summer jobs like you do in Port Clinton. Right. So he got a job and he's probably told you that. Um, and then we came home for Christmas and my sister said, Carol said, um, boy, if you ever want to come to Port Clinton to work, I know, I, I'm sure we can get you a job. And she did. So the next summer, school's over, he's gone. Bill didn't know what had happened. He felt like Joe left because he didn't like him. Um, and he came here for five summers and worked and then went to OU. Well, when it came time to look at schools, Uncle Dave took him around to all Ohio schools. Right. So he goes to OU. And because they were so close, it was sort of like a little, you know, I didn't have this chain moving through. It was like one little block. And I was, you know, we were still, well, in our 40s, I think, when they left. So I had started... Uh, my master's program, and that kept me really busy. So I know I did. I had friends who went through empty nest syndrome. I never did because at the end of that, I had a full time job, which I never had a full time job. Right. And um, you know, just life just kept going. So I don't know. I think that they will be fine because. Your mom now is looking at a new job. She's got her mom and dad and sisters in the area. Um, there's the restaurant. Um, and I think your dad will adjust too. 
you're close. Yeah, I'm, I'm practically moving back in right as she's moving out. So. <laughs> yeah, you'd have the house to yourself. Right. Yeah, save a lot of rent. And Max is going to be a senior. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. So, and who knows what his next step is going to be. I don't know what his ideas are or what he thinks, but... um. I don't think it, I don't th- well, I think Max has somewhat of an idea, but we'll see. Yeah. So they'll still be involved with, you know, when your dad went to school, he was far from, oh, was Port Clinton's far enough, but he was another three and a half hours. Yeah. So there was no opportunity to drive down for a night, whereas Miami is doable. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's why sometimes it's kind of, I like the idea, I to have Marcella there would be fun because it would be very different for us. Mm-hmm. And um, to be able to be there for her. So, um, yeah, I I think they're going to be fine. I don't know that they're, everybody, all my friends worked through it and adjusted. And they will too, but um, a lot of the friends I have in Oconomowoc were there like we were. They didn't have family there. But you still are busy keeping in touch with your kids. Of course, we also, just at that time, that, that um, well, the boys were in high school when computers came out. Um, we were still using disks. Um, and you know how that's evolved rapidly since then. So. That has kept us busy to some degree, or different ways of staying in touch. Um, and then, yeah, um, I don't want to get morbid here, but um, I want this as much as I really did, and I have learned so much about you today. And thank you so much. Oh, and, you're welcome. Um, well, thank you. This is. I also want this to be able to, when I or um, dad or Uncle Bill or someone has a question for you and we can't ask it anymore, uh, I'm excited to, you know, have this to be able to get some more wisdom. And I was curious, um, dad wanted me to ask, what is your, um, a family, if you could have a family epithet or something that you could... Um, kind of encompass the whole family with a word or phrase and then maybe uh, how would you like us to think of you? Oh. And sometimes I think of this as maybe a fault, but I just enjoy having fun and laughing. And um, so I guess that would be the thing is is that um that it was always fun or a, bring something fun and interesting i guess i would like to be my my mom always had a joke every day she had a joke in her wallet um i um i guess i there's sort of a blend between seriousness, what it needs to be there, and laughter and humor and fun. Um, in the last several years, we've always, I've always gone to church, but my faith has become 
very important. And I would, I like, like it when we can all go. Now I know tomorrow night it'll be family, we'll be in the gym and it's hardly sacred. I yeah. mean it is, but it's... It's more of a family tradition than yeah, it is a, a spiritual mass. Yes. Um, I go every day if I possibly can. I love our church at home. It's just, um, it's just, it invites you into, I don't know if you've ever been in our church, oh, have yeah. you? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because behind the altar is that Church of the Last Supper, and then there's the Holy Spirit, and then there's a picture of God, and it's just, but you don't need that to be able to communicate. And I think having that perspective and getting more into my faith, I realize what a rich gift it is. How it's just amazing, really. Uh, all the different prayers, the saints, the mass, the sacraments, um, the rosary. It, it's there's just a lot to it. It's very comforting, and. Um, I would like to, if I could pass on something, pass that on now between you and me and the recording. Aunt Patty said today that when they were in Cleveland last week, <clears throat> her, Josh said, and Josh is our grandson, I am godson, my godson. Josh said to her mom, when you go to church tomorrow morning, I'll go with you, I'll take you. And then when he got out, he said, gee, that was really nice. I'm going to have to get back into going to church. And I, it, it just is such a, um, a peace. I guess that's what it is. And I don't mean to uh, feel like I need to have fun at all costs. Right. But, um, and, and there have been some tragic things that have happened that sort of take away the joy, or that's life. You have to juggle all those things. But to have something like your faith to help you through those times, I think is very important. And I, I honestly, I don't know what, how you find meaning in life without that. That has provided the meaning of life. And maybe the peace and the um, security to um, just enjoy your family and love. There's a little a little rock in one of the um, catalogs. It's it says um, just love everybody. I'll sort them out later. Sign God, and that makes me laugh. And I think I just remember that. Just love them, Mary Joe. Just love them. Enjoy them, bring joy to them if you can, and um, God will take care of it. It's in His hands. He made them. It's they're His, you know. So um, I guess there. One of my goals that has been there for a while is I want to write my obituary. I want to get my whole funeral lined up. The idea. Um, I. I love our times together, but when my time is is ready to go, I'm ready. Well, I'm, I'm not, so... Well, I know, I know, and I would probably feel the same way, but I have that kind of peace that when it's my time, oh. I want to live my life that way. Enjoy every moment. And that is a great goal to 
uh, yeah, I hope to keep that. And I have something I want to give you. I can remember where I put it. Um, there is a thing. Do you know who um, Bernie Siegel is? No. Have you ever heard of him? He wrote a book called, um, well, he's written a few books. One is called Love, Medicine, and Miracles. He was a physician. I think he's probably Jewish. Okay. So he wrote all these things that create inner peace. And uh, I have a little thing about that. From his list, there are about eight things that speak about inner peace. So I, I will show you that. But this is from a, a, a reverend, I guess a pastor, Charles Swindle. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, I have not. Okay. I don't know if you want to take your time right now to... Do you want to read it so we have you reading it? Pardon? Do you, do you want to read it so that way we have you reading oh, it? Well, I could if you want me to. Yeah, that would be great. My voice isn't the greatest because this bluffer spasm and the spasms attitude. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace of that day. We cannot change our past. <clears throat> we cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And that is from Charles Swindle. Thank you. You're welcome. And um, the inner peace, and, and this was, as I said, from Bernie Siegel. Um, it must be in my other baggie, but um, it's, an unmistakable ability to find joy in every moment. A, he comes at it from a medical, like a diagnostic, and um, a loss of interest in judging self and others, others and self, a loss of interest in um, uh, interpreting the actions of others, a loss of interest in conflict, a loss in the ability to worry, um, a, a frequent overwhelming um, episodes of gratitude and appreciation, frequent episodes of smiling, and an increased tendency to let things happen rather than trying to make them happen. And I think that those are kind of, at this stage, kind of nice guidelines by which to live. I think so too. So I'll give you a copy of that one then. All right. So there you have it. Well, 
Thank you very much, Lolly. Oh, Joe, thank you. I, it was my pleasure. I hope I didn't blab on no. too much. Say anything directly to Dad and Uncle Bill. Oh my gosh, um, they have been the joys of my life, and were the only joys of my life before I had grandkids. Um, I love them both. I, I think. Um, I, if I love to see them be their both their best friends. Um, because they, they just have each other. Well, your daddy has a family. Uncle Bill has you guys. So, um, it, 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 your mom said something to me one time. She had you, she was expecting Max. And she said, I just can't imagine loving another one as much as I love the first one. And I said, nobody can tell you what that's like. And you can have 10 kids, and you have love for all of them. It's different because they're different, but you, they're all different. But it's the overwhelming love of a parent. And you can't explain that. So, um, they'll always be your kids, even if they're 50 or 75. So I love you guys. Love you all. Love you, Chris, Sally, Max. Um, you're the best. Yeah. And Joe, of course, Joe Dale. Yeah.